What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. Not sure if it's the old YouTube algorithm, if it's my thumbnail making, if it's my new title strategy, <laughs> but the last video, it didn't tank, but... Uh, and maybe it's just maybe it's just that old end of summer everybody's busy kind of thing. But yeah, man, views are way down. So, yeah, uh, eh. hey, I mean, I don't really do that. Well, I do. I do it for views. Let's be honest. But I also do it because I enjoy it. So, anyway, we're gonna keep on trucking along because I do enjoy doing this. So, all right, let's do some tales from tech support. Can I have a laptop stand? So I work as tech support at a university, and last year I transitioned to a new campus with a new role. Unlike at my old role in campus where desks were shared, my full-time on-site duties now earned me my very own desk and workspace. Excited to make my new desk feel like home, I spoke to my new boss about obtaining a laptop stand for ergonomic reasons. His response? Sure, just check with the health and safety manager. He'll order one for you. So I send an email to the health and safety manager and his reply is far from straightforward. Do you have a doctor's note saying you need this? You'll need one to be able to qualify for ergonomic material. Also, every campus already has ergonomic chairs and height adjustable desks, so that should be enough. You're young. I don't think you need more. You IT guys asked way too much. I didn't want to make a fuss at my first day, so I just responded that I'll check with my doctor. But I also informed him that my office actually lacked height adjustable desks. I wasn't planning to go to my doctor for this. Way too much effort for one little thing. And so I left it at that. A few days later, to my surprise, I get a response. He simply said, I'll ask infrastructure to budget new desks. And sure enough, today was the day. New desks and cabinets arrived, turning our old office into a completely revamped workspace. The total expenditure? A whopping 20,000 euros. <laughs> Out of curiosity, I checked one of our regular vendor's prices for a laptop stand. Just 10 euros. Now I sit at my expensive, newly furnished, still laptop standless desk, wondering what grand gesture will come next should I dare to ask again. I will never ever understand corporate policy. I understand if you if you set up your company with ergonomic desks and chairs and things like that for people who are on their computers, at their desks, on the phone, whatever, all day long, I get it because, you know, like if I was to sit in this setup with this keyboard, my desk height is at actual like dining table height. It's not really great for doing a lot of typing and things like that. Uh, this chair, while it's fairly comfortable, it's pretty well broken in by now, um, isn't exactly very supportive for somebody with a bad back. So if I spent hours and hours a day, which I do sometimes, but like this isn't this isn't my full time. Like I'm not here, you know, 60 hours a week at this desk. So I get to get up and take breaks and things like that. But so anyway, squirrel. Um, so I could see where a company would want to do that you know, set up all their departments with ergonomic things like that to avoid the stress injuries and things like that, the repetition injuries. But, you know, when somebody makes a request that would help them without making a ton of changes and it only costs 10 bucks, eh, maybe with shipping, let's say 20 bucks, who cares? 20 euros to, to just go ahead and, you know, revamp the whole department. I don't know. I just, it just seems silly. Knock interaction with a residential site manager. A bit of a tame story, but this literally just happened. Call from site manager at one of our residential communities. Hi, welcome to blank. You're speaking with I don't have corona. Site manager. Hi, I've got a resident at house such and such with no internet. Okay, no problem. We can have a look at that. Are they unable to access websites on any other devices? Site manager. Well, they're still receiving emails, okay, but they can't open them with the internet. Me. Are you able to clarify what you mean so they can still see new emails coming through to their inbox? 
checking connection stats, and it indicates that they're online. On our side, it currently indicates the connection's online, although it's possible there's some sort of issue, such as the Wi-Fi. Are they able to access any websites? Site Manager. I'll call you back after I check a couple things. Five minutes later, the Site Manager calls back. Hi, when we try to access a website on the iPad, it says Safari can't reach this page. Me. Okay, that seems to indicate a potential internet issue on the iPad. Does the resident have any other devices, such as a mobile phone or PC, that we can check to see if they can access the internet as well? Site Manager says they have a phone and checks to see if they can access a website on the resident's phone. Site Manager. Same issue on the phone as well. Me. We'll need to ensure mobile data is disabled so we can ensure it's only connecting to the Wi-Fi. Just checking as well. You're currently at the property with them, correct? Site Manager. No, we're at the office. Huh? Me. We'll need to test this from their residence to see if there are any issues with the home internet. Site Manager. Oh, okay. So what do we need to do when we get there? Me. Let's go through disabling mobile data. Then when they're back home, they simply need to try accessing a website on their phone. Then we go through all the steps of disabling the mobile data. Site manager says, I still can't access any websites on their phone. Me. Yeah, they'll need to be at home to connect to their Wi-Fi as mentioned to test. I advise them that when the resident's home to try accessing a website on their phone. If they still can't, suggest that they disconnect the power cable for 30 seconds before reconnecting. Still currently to be continued. I'm not sure what kind of residence this is. Uh, it's probably some residential program for special needs people. It, it depends on the home and the, the circumstances, but uh, a lot of times these residents aren't set up with mobile data, maybe on the phone, but not usually on tablets. And they need to be set up with their Wi-Fi access to be able to download things and go to websites and all that stuff. But they said they were getting emails, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure what's going on there. But you know, if they're out at your facility, not back at their home, group home, whatever. I don't know. I don't understand. And, you know, how would this guy think, you know, devices are just magically going to start pulling up websites when they're not connected to Wi-Fi? I don't know. Customer couldn't remember the past 10 minutes, apparently. For context, I work in a little smartphone repair shop where our sole mission is fixing hardware issues. No tech wizardry here. My role, however, doesn't involve wielding a soldering iron. It's more about playing the charming face of the shop and juggling office tasks. With just a trickle of customers strolling in daily, the job is usually stress-free. Well, most of the time. But among the ordinary tales of broken screens and cracked cases, there's one that truly stands out. One day, an elderly gentleman walked into our shop, concern written all over his face. He explained that he couldn't hear a word when he talked on his phone, convinced that the microphone was to blame. I simply corrected him, suggesting it might be the speakers that were misbehaving. So I inspected the speakers, but lo and behold, the built-in diagnostic tool on the phone decided to not work. So I just gave him a call. I dialed away and no sound. Though no problem. With a smile, I assured the customer that we could fix it swiftly. All we needed was a speaker replacement. He asked about the cost and time to fix, and I told him 70 schmeckles, not actual currency, and two hours for the job. The deal struck, he entrusted his phone to me. Since it was a relatively quick fix, he'd be back to reclaim his phone the very same day. As the two hours passed, our elderly friend returned to collect his phone, eager to confirm its renewed health. I retrieved it for him, and he posed the quintessential question, does it work properly now? Truth be told, I hadn't personally performed the repair, but I assumed our technician had given it a thorough test. Nevertheless, he needed reassurance, so he requested that we make a real phone call together to put it to the test. I complied, dialing his number. As the phone rang for a while, I ended the call, confident that the speakers were back in tune, as indicated by the melody. Yet the man remained unconvinced. He wanted to hear it in an actual conversation. I obliged, handing him the phone, and we connected. To his delight, it worked. 
Satisfied, he settled the bill and wished me a pleasant evening and made his exit. I reclined in my chair, replaying the exchange in my mind. Just another day at the office, or so I thought. However, no more than 10 minutes later, our shop phone rang. I answered. Phone repairing company, good evening, how can I assist you? The voice on the other end responded, you called me just 10 minutes ago. What's the matter? <laughs> I was bewildered. The company phone had been in my possession the entire time and I hadn't made any calls. It was the same gentleman from our store, now on the other end of the line. I explained that he'd been in our shop only a short while ago and he chuckled, apologized, and promptly hung up. The day took an unexpected comedic twist and my coworkers and I shared the heartiest laugh we'd had in quite some time. <laughs> it's funny. I, I find myself, oh look, there's a cat back there for those of you that keep asking. No, they're not mad at me. Well, I don't think they are anyway. It's hard to tell some days since they always seem to be plotting our demise either way. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I find myself in that position sometimes where, you know, I set out to do something and then I forget completely why I was going into that room or getting into my car or I'll get into my car knowing full well that I have one task to do and then return home. That's it. Nothing major, just one quick trip and then back. And uh, all of a sudden, my little pea brain decides, oh, time to make a left. You know, I get on automatic pilot thinking I'm going to an old job that I used to have or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the mind is a terrible thing sometimes. I'm not a magician. At the crappy game store I worked at for a short time, there was a computer they wanted to set up for a customer in an arcade cabinet. This is the same one I was trying to work on when the idiot tech didn't know what a USB cable was and thus couldn't find a keyboard and mouse for me to use. Having given up on finding one in this disorganized mess of a store, I brought my own. So on to the next thing. How do we get the joystick to do something? Well, I tried opening up a Word document to see if the joystick and buttons were just assigned to push keys on the keyboard, but no luck there. They just didn't respond at all. The box connecting the joystick to the computer had a little green light on it, but nothing else. I googled the name and manufacturer of the box, but got nowhere in terms of finding out how it was supposed to work. Where and why they even got this thing, I had no idea. The only links I found to even buy that thing were all in a foreign language, literally. My only guess is that they bought the arcade cabinet box and all from some bargain basement. I punted and went on to the device manager. I unplugged the box from the computer before opening the device manager, then I hooked it up again and nothing. The box doesn't even show up as anything in the device manager, nor does Windows even make the connected sound that it's supposed to make. The only other machine we had with a traditional computer in it wasn't even finished. There was nothing between the joystick and the computer yet. Glaringly, the computer had games in it that couldn't even be played with just the one button and joystick that the cabinet in question had. Not only that, the monitor was mounted quite awkwardly so you could clearly see all the mounting hardware and the bezel obscured part of the actual screen. Yikes. And this was already on the sales floor, price tag and all. I tried calling the boss but got no answer, of course. So I sent him a text explaining that the joystick to the computer box was broken, and to my knowledge we didn't have another one, but I could certainly look for one and email him a link. A day later the boss came back and explained in a clearly not satisfied tone that the customer didn't want the game cabinet anymore because of how long it was taking to get something together for him. The thing wasn't even in working condition since before I even interviewed with the store, so it wasn't just a bad stroke of luck that the USB box broke the day before or something like that. The boss even took issue with me bringing my own keyboard and mouse when they definitely had plenty of them there at the store. Of course, no one could show me exactly where they were in the store, the very reason I brought one in the first place. I gotta be honest, I have no idea about the interfaces. I mean, I know there are some games that were made to house a traditional uh, VGA monitor back in the day. I don't know about modern monitors or whatever, but a VGA monitor and a regular computer tower. I guess the software was different. Uh... I have no idea how those interfaces work to make things function, but yeah. 
doesn't sound like anybody in your shop's all that smart to begin with. And somehow they're going to put it all on you, being the newest guy there. Amazing. What's in the pipe? 1990 or 91, I was working for a government contractor, installing and developing logistics systems on IBM RISC 6000 computers, AIX and Unix for Army Aviation Depots. These were shops that could strip a helicopter down to the frame and rebuild it from scratch. I was sent to one facility where the system was getting corrupted by some kind of interference. They even had an IBM tech sent out to work with me as the issue was stopping them from going into production. IBM and I arrived on the site one morning after the local guys had spent most of the night getting the system software and applications package reloaded for the nth time already. Luckily, they had full backups of the fresh install. So this was more of a taking time for tapes to run than real configuration work. They started running test jobs against the system and about 45 minutes in, the whole thing went south on them. We matched errors showing up on the terminal screens around the plant pertaining to system errors, software errors, and corrupted data. Within a minute, the entire system was trashed. The server completely locked up. The IBM tech had a small system that we could connect in and look at hard drives. The drives had so many errors on them that the IBM tech wanted them saved for inspection. Luckily, he had brought a new set of drives to replace the corrupted ones. While IBM and the local guy set about replacing drives and loading them, I went searching. My basis was network engineering and what I saw looked like line interference. So I got their cabling map and started tracing wires. The server was in a closet in the side of the main repair hangar. Terminals from the offices and other buildings were connected via Ethernet cabling. Terminals in the repair hangar were connected via a 16-port RS-232 interface. I figured the interference wasn't via Ethernet, or other computers on the network would have been affected. So that left RS-232. I traced all the wires and they seemed to be run correctly, even avoiding the fluorescent lighting in the building. But one wire was strapped to a 4-inch pipe that ran from the floor, up the wall, and into the ceiling. Then the wire was strapped to the ceiling beams across the hangar and down to a terminal. I asked what was in the pipe and was told it was a drain pipe from the roof. I questioned that and was told they couldn't drain out onto the tarmac so it went to an underground drainage system. IBM and the locals had finished their install but I asked them to wait until I was satisfied with the cabling. I didn't like that wire strapped to the pipe. I asked the local guys if we could reroute that cable somehow. They weren't happy about it because it meant getting a man lift and stopping some repair work to accomplish the routing. So I asked for access to the roof. They got us up there and we went to where the drain pipe was on that wall. Yup. No drain pipe there. All drains were located on building corners and ran down the outside of the buildings. Now, I wanted facilities engineering to tell us what was in the pipe. The engineer showed us the electrical diagram of the building, highlighting the 440 volt, 200 amp cables running through that pipe, over the ceiling and into the airframe repair shop where they powered their heli-arc welding machines. Every time an arc welder fired up, the electrical interference across those cables did a damn damn to the IRSC. Needless to say, a man lift was immediately brought in and that terminal cable rerouted about 60 foot away from the electrical conduit. The system was brought up, ran through about 8 hours of testing with the arc welders running and no issues. Production started the next morning. Line interference is a real thing, boys and girls. I found that out the hard way. Uh, when I was running things in one of my old houses, I ran some ethernet cable and somehow I managed to parallel a conduit in the wall. I couldn't see the conduit, it was in the wall. But somehow I got almost perfectly parallel to it. And um, yeah, everything I tried to do was just hiccuped and staticky and just crap. Now, I knew from experience being on job sites and, you know, looking at plans and talking to electricians and things like that and telecommunications guys that, you know, you had to be careful. You couldn't cross over a lot of power lines or run totally parallel in the same trough with power lines and things like that with telephone lines, Ethernet, coax, whatever. So I did know enough to know that, you know, that was a bad idea. Hell, even this phone. If I had this phone sitting in the wrong place 
It's not the Wi-Fi. It's not the 4G. It's the actual cell signal. Um, when it's doing some kind of roaming, searching thing, whatever, it will it will click in the microphone wire. Uh, so I have to make sure that this, like right now, it's fine. But you know, if I have it sitting over here for any length of time between my microphone and the interface for the computer, it it just and I don't notice it while I'm recording half the time. It's when I'm editing that all of a sudden I'll notice there's a little tap 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 in the background and it makes me crazy. The newer cell phones aren't quite as bad as the old, you know, like the old Nokia's, even my old flip phones, things like that, but it will still do it occasionally. So if you're having any interference like that, check your cell phone, maybe distance it from whatever else you're trying to use and see if it fixes it. Maybe. All right, guys, thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. I hope you've enjoyed these stories and uh, yeah, you know what to do. And until the next one, we'll see you.